Who is the Lord? This is what Pharaoh asked Moses. Last week we talked about how things went from bad to worse. We started off at the burning bush, the greatest experience in the life of Moses where he comes to know the I am. This is who the Lord is, the Jehovah, the Yahweh, the personal God that he has not known before. He is known about God, which is true for many people in our country. They know about God. But Moses had not known God personally. So now we're going to follow the Lord. And um, we're going to go do what he says. And we would think that, wow, that's just going to be one blessing after another. And it's a rough ride for Moses when he meets Pharaoh. So this morning we're going to cover from this verse that I'll read in chapter 5, verse 2, where, Mo, where Pharaoh says back to Moses, Who is the Lord? He says that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now we begin a great uh, cataclysmic conflict. And... Um, if you don't believe in God or you have an alternative uh, theory, you may say this is all about the dark side and the force <laughs> or good and evil. Typically, movies that are made of people that may or may not believe in God will just talk about the good and the evil, the force or the dark side or whatever else. But from our biblical worldview, we do believe that there is an, a creator God who created all things, and who is Lord of all things. And there is also an opposition to that God in a person called Satan, a fallen angel. And so I want us to see this as just there, there is a standoff. And you think, well, the enemy is Pharaoh. And who is the real enemy? The enemy is Satan. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll put a face to the enemy, like a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter or an employer or a neighbor. That's the enemy. And you start treating them like the enemy. No, remember this. The enemy is always Satan. And he will try to destroy as many lives as possible. So Moses... I believe in many ways he is a picture of Christ. He is, this is a foretaste of the, the coming Christ, Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Jesus Christ is going to come to deliver the entire world out of the bondage of sin to those who will believe. And so it's a picture. Pharaoh is a picture of the rulers of this age. Uh, those that are following, not God, but their own way. We're going to read later on about ten commandments. Here we read about ten plagues. The ten commandments are revealing God's moral law. The ten plagues are going to be a, a challenge that God is bringing to the gods. Remember in Psalm 96 that I was reading uh, not long ago, it, it, it talks about the many gods, the idols, well, the world always, has always been filled with many gods and many idols. 
But we will argue from this that there is one Lord, one King, one Master, one Creator. And then you get to the book of Revelation, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when you read through these 10 plagues, you could, you could maybe think, well, God is, man, that's pretty, he's pretty harsh. He's kind of mean. This is, this is the wrath of God being poured out on people. That's not nice. But I think what you're going to see through this is God's kindness, his patience, his graciousness. And so to answer this question, it is probably the most important question anyone will ever be asked in their life. Who is the Lord? In reality, we would say it's God. It is the Yahweh. It is, it is the creator. He is the Lord. But functionally, it's to whomever ever I submit. So you can, you can talk all you want about, oh, I, God's my Lord, I, I worship him, I worship God, and most Christians will say that. That's not how they live. We submit to other gods, uh, and primarily to our own selves. Who's Lord of your life? What's the one calling the shots? It's the one making the decisions. And I think most of us employ in our Christian faith a user God. In other words, I use him. It's like, I need this, I need that. I need help with this. But I'm in charge. <laughs> now, I know in my own heart I have that same tendency. Every person here has that same tendency. I want to be in charge of my life. Because there's a certain insecurity of thinking, well, someone else is being in charge of it might go poorly, including the Lord. So this question is really important. Who is the Lord? Now, we know that in reality, it's God. But in your life, who's Lord? Who's Lord? So we're going to examine this question in three ways. By revelation by demonstration, and by invitation. We talked about the revelation. God reveals himself as the I am. Do you remember that? He is the self-existent one. He is the eternal one. He is the self-sufficient one. He is the all-sufficient one. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is ever-present. He is unchangeable. He is holy. He is transcendent. And he is personal. So Moses experiences this. Now Pharaoh is being presented with the Lord. Uses this same term. In your Bibles, it'll be all caps. That's Yahweh. Different from Adonai, as we read about Lord, or the Elohim that we read about God. But this, this here is the personal God. And what Pharaoh says is, who is this? I don't know him. Well, that's true. He does not 
know him. Now, what's God's will for Pharaoh and for everyone in the world? Did he come to know him? So how is God going to move Pharaoh and all the Egyptians to know him? And I think that through this series of challenges that we're going to read about, these 10 plays, we're going to see that. God has always given us enough knowledge to take the next step. We talked about that. There's always enough revelation. And, and the, the question we often get is, what about the people in the jungles of Africa or they're in South America or in some deserted island someplace? God always gives enough knowledge, enough revelation for us to seek him. And if we seek him, he promises we will find him. We read this in Psalm 19. We read this in Revelation or Romans chapter 1. We'll read this at the end of the book of Revelation. So there is sufficient revelation. And God is giving that to us as he is, he did to Moses. Now he gives sufficient revelation to Pharaoh. And what's his response? No. No. Now Moses said yes. Now it was not a hard yes. <laughs> I, I liken this to, um, it's not like Moses had no struggles. Like the Lord is saying, you know, I'm the Lord, I'm going to send you to Egypt and you're going to deliver the people. It wasn't like, I'm in. It's like, but, but, remember the five excuses? So we struggle with our faith. That's normal. If you don't struggle with your faith, there's probably something wrong. We struggle to believe something we can't see. And, and so it's not that Moses doesn't struggle. We're going to see in his life, as we, we walk through his life, he does struggle with all of the impossibilities that God is asking of him. But here with Pharaoh, it is just like a hard rejection. So what does God do? He does, he does not torch him <laughs> on the spot. Boom! Okay. You think, well, Pharaoh, that's it. We're going to see a whole series of things that are happening in Egypt over probably nine months to a year, best we can tell. This is over a, an extended period of time. These plagues come. It is God's justice, it is God's wrath, it, it is God's holiness, but the purpose of this is to move people to repentance and faith and belief. Not just in the, and see we think it's, it's because, well, when one of these plagues happen, oh, it's because of the pain of that, I'm going to turn to God. No, it's when the mercy follows, because after every one of them, you see mercy follow. So this is really a story of the mercy of God. So, revelation. God gives every person, your kids, your grandkids, you, your loved ones, your family, your neighbor, the people in the remote, most remote place on the earth, sufficient revelation to seek him and to find him and to know him. And that is God's will for everyone's life. I can tell you this, I know God's will for your life. <laughs> it's not a crystal ball, just 
read the scriptures. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, the revelation, he is the great I am. Demonstration, remember how we talked about the, the, I think five times that he says I am, and then eight times he says I will. So, God will perform such things that will continue to show his reality and his lordship overall. And this is what he's going to do. Um, the, the way that I would describe this, we have 10 plagues, and I'm, I'm going to mention them all. I'm not going to get in, we're not going to get down in the weeds, which is going to be hard for me to do because there's so much fascinating things about each one of these plagues. But each one of these plagues is really attacking one of their gods, one of their idols. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but the number 10 is like a completeness. He is, he is going after the things they trust in. Now, even though you, you don't have idols set up in your house, and most people don't have idols set up in their house, there are things that we trust in more than God. And that is what you worship. The reality is where you spend your energy, your time, your thoughts, and what you value the most is what you worship, functionally. Now, you can say all you want to, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday, I read my Bible, and I'm a Christian, and I love God. He's the most important thing in my life. No, what's most important in your life is how you're living. And he's going to expose this in the lives of these people. And I hope that as, this is the way I tried to work through it in my own heart because I know that I'll set up idols and things that I trust in and things that I, it's not like a, a conscious thing I do, but we, we just naturally want to hold on to and control life. <laughs> you know, I, wanna con I get a little fearful and I want to control. And faith is letting go and trusting God. So Moses and Pharaoh, here we have God and Satan. We have Moses and Pharaoh. We have the Hebrew children, God's children, and all of the Egyptian people. So they're all going to see this. And so what he does is he goes down, has Aaron dip his rod into the Nile River, which is, it is the, it's the source of life for Egypt. And if you just look at that, it's like this way with, with any country. Water is important. I mean, most wars and battles are over water. Water, water gives life. And um, so if you look at that region, how that Nile River flows, and you probably go 30 miles to each side of it, it is just fertile and productive land. And then once you get out past about 30 miles, it's just desert. Okay, so, so the Nile River is, is flowing all the way up to the delta, and expanding out and, and, and provides everything for them. There is a god that they worship called Hapi, H-A-P-I, however you pronounce, we can't go back and get exact pronunciations, but, and the god, typically, it'll be a picture of a man or a woman with a head of some animal, but this is what they have in their Egyptian art. So you'll see this 
in, in places that you will go even in discovering in Egypt today. So this uh, hapi is a man holding a tray with water jugs representing the Nile River. And so when Aaron dips his rod into the water, it turns it to blood. And everything dies. Not just in the Nile River itself, but all the canals and the channels and containers and everywhere, it turns to blood. Now Pharaoh, as obstinate as he is, says, my magicians can do that. <laughs> Hocus pocus. And, uh, you know, Satan can imitate a lot of things. I mean, he can, he can do that. And so they did. They, can, they turned water into blood with their magic. But they couldn't turn the blood water back to regular water. So they couldn't do. But God could do that. And in seven days, the water turned back to being without blood. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let you go. So you see judgment, holiness, righteousness, and mercy. And he hardens his heart. Now what happens is when we repeatedly say no to God, pretty soon our hearts get to where we don't even want to say yes. This is what we're going to see what happens when you, when you do that. You fight against revelation. You have sufficient revelation of what Moses said. And then he has, again, sufficient revelation by this miracle of the Nile. And he says, no, Pharaoh hardens his heart. The second one is the frogs multiplied out of the river throughout all of the land. It was in the food, it was in the dough, it was in their clothing and every place. I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like to have frogs everywhere. Now, little kids might think that'd be a lot of fun, but this would not be. Frogs are everywhere. And um, the goddess... It's a female, Hecate is the name of the goddess, woman's body with a frog's head. That's the god they worship. It is, she is the goddess of fertility. And when you look back and you think of this with the, the Nile River, um, now this is the god of fertility for everything for people, for plants, for vegetation, for all of their livestock. Magicians would also duplicate this appearance of frogs, but could not get rid of them. Same way, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he will not let the people go. But you know how people can make that the most important thing in their life? Fertility, reproduction, prosperity, and so God in his mercy again pulls that back and the frogs die and they heap them together. The next, the next one we find is, the, it's, it may say in your Bible, gnats, it's actually lice. And this God is pictured as um, the same kind of a person with the, this uh, lice, they're actually lice. So like the dust of the earth, it is the... the uh, God of earth, Geb, and the God of earth or the dust would be like all of the dust in this area turns to lice. 
and the lice are everywhere. Now we got a little creek behind our house. I usually take a couple mile walk every day and you know, there's sometimes where those, those like gnats or bugs get into the air. You ever do that? You're taking a walk and you're, you're wa I'm walking going like this and I walk by other people that are going like this. I thought of that, you know, it'd be, it'd be like that, but probably a hundred times more dense and everywhere you could not escape this. And not are they just like gnats, they're lice getting in your hair, in your clothing. The magicians could not duplicate this and told Pharaoh, here's what they said, this is the finger of God. Now that, you think, okay, now he's, he's going to realize that this, this is something he can't control. Still, Pharaoh would not let them go and hardened his heart. The next plague that came was flies or insects. You know, I think of insects when we were down in Palau, our son Reed and Heather, they were down there for a few years. And um, Diane, one night, we're down visiting. She goes into the restroom and she turns on the light and she said, the ceiling and all the walls were covered with bugs. <laughs> I mean, there's crawling bugs. And so the way she solved the problem is just turn the light off. <laughs> this is a pretend light. They're not there. But these flies, this, this is a, um, it's, it's Kahepri is the name of, it's a man. It's a man's body with the head of a fly. It's a god that they worship, and it is the god of rebirth or creation. You imagine flies, they multiply so quickly. The God of creation and rebirth. So they go through that. Flies everywhere. Misery for everyone. The next plague was cattle and livestock. This is the goddess Hathor. It's a woman with the head of a cow and that is a goddess of protection. And so you think of the livestock, the cattle, protection by providing food, resources for work, and so they, now they are diseased, and they're dying, and, and the supply of their food, the supply of their working animals is gone. The next one is boils and sores, and uh, that is the goddess Isis, the goddess of medicine. See, all these things are things that people can worship, they can value, um, and so that comes, and Moses took the ashes, he took ashes and he threw them in the air and boils covered everyone. So that when he goes to the court of Pharaoh again, he's the only one, he and Aaron are the only ones standing. Everybody else is just in misery with boils. Anybody ever have a boil? I mean, if you've seen boils, our kids would have them when they'd be overseas and it is the most painful, uh, excruciating pain with these things. The next one, and, and Pharaoh hardens his heart again, thunder and lightning, hail. Um, the goddess of the sky, Newt, um, over all these things, completely, the hail completely destroyed everything standing. I remember back 1984, and uh, we were living down off uh, about Carr and 58th or Ralston Road in Arvada. And um, they were saying there's a hail, hailstorms. You know, we get these tornadoes around here and hailstorms. They said they're the size of baseballs. They're the size of baseballs. And um, 
All of a sudden, we start seeing them coming down. And I said to Diane, I said, that is not the size of a baseball. That's the size of a softball. I mean, they were, they were huge. And I was going to run out and get one so I could show someone. And um, she said, you better not run out there. <laughs> so, so I did wait until <clears throat> um, it was over. But just those size of hailstones that came down, I mean, you, you can imagine. It, it wiped out every car at the Kmart down the street from us was totaled. It looked like a war zone. Every roof was destroyed, buildings torn down, every, everything, trees lost their limbs. So I'm not sure exactly how size the hail was. You have lightning, you've got thunder, you've got hail coming down and just decimating the land. And then the, ne and the next one was locust. So the locust, this is the, the god uh, the god of storms, Seth, storms in disorder, completely ravaged what was left of the land. Just locusts just came and just covered the land and ate it up. The ninth plague, we're kind of getting to the end here. Uh, the ninth plague is pretty significant. Um, it's darkness. For three days, complete darkness. So to, the, to the point where you just felt the weight and the heaviness of the darkness. It reminds me of what I uh, just reading in the Gospel of Mark yesterday about how that when Christ was on the cross, that um, from, from noon till three o'clock, it was just completely dark. And I mean, so dark that there, there's, there's nothing that you can see. And this is the, the, the God Ra, the sun god. People worship the sun god. So, and then finally, after all of that, we have the death of the firstborn. Which, which seems, um, say, how could God do this? That, and, and, but, but you see, here's what God says. Judgment is coming. And the reason judgment is coming is because God is holy. He cannot be unholy. And if God ever is unholy, he cannot be good. Think about that. If God is unholy... He cannot be good. And if God is not just, he cannot be good. So here is the warning. Um, if, if you do not follow my instruction, then there will be the death of the firstborn of every family, of livestock, of people, of everyone. That would include Pharaoh. So this... The God that attacks, it's interesting, the God that attacks is the God Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh, in the minds of the Egyptians, is also a God. And I thought, isn't that interesting? How that's really at the core of this. Pharaoh has made himself out to be God. I am my Lord. I am my authority. I'm going to do what I want to do. And his heart is so hard. So here's the grace of God and the goodness of God. Okay, he must, if, if he's holy and he's just and he's fair, he must punish sin. He must. He can't be good if he doesn't do that. So he gives sufficient warning. I'm going to bring judgment. Now here's what I want you to do. If you want to avoid this judgment, you've, you've probably heard this story. This is the most significant of the 10 plagues. But it says, take a lamb... Slay the lamb, take the blood, 
and put it on the door, the top and the two sides of the door. So the lamb is a, is, is a picture of a substitutionary atonement to cover sin. You put it on the door of the home to protect the home. The top and the two sides represent Christ, the cross. You say, well, how do you, I don't know if that's kind of jumping to a lot of conclusions. All you got to do is read your New Testament. You're going to see it just says this. <laughs> this is Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. And his blood is an atonement for sins. And the act of doing it is really faith. Faith will always obey. You cannot have a faith that does not obey. Faith will prove itself out in obedience. If you believe something, you'll act on it. So that night, the angel of death came through the land, and in every home where the blood was not on the door, the firstborn died. Now Pharaoh has been negotiating all along, or not all along, but part of us is saying, well, if you do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. He's always negotiated. And now he says, get out, get out. And he's driving them out. So this is, this is what he has been said to, to Moses earlier. He said, he won't let you go, but you're going to see what I'm going to do. He will actually drive you out. Interesting side note to this is here you have people who are leaving everything. If, if, if someone said to you, Okay, tomorrow morning, leave Colorado. You're not taking anything with you. <laughs> you know, just boom. What I, I got all this. They, they really didn't have much. But the Egyptians feared them and feared God. I don't know what, to what degree, that they showered them with gifts, gold and silver. And, and I mean, they just loaded them up with supplies for their trip. <laughs> Isn't that like God? God will bless obedience in that way. So now Pharaoh, on the death of the firstborn, and you think it's, it's sad. You know, you, there are a lot of things I can't figure out. I do know that for children, um, for infants, and I, this would be digressed too much, that I, I believe everybody has sufficient opportunity to be saved. And that children who are, we call it the age of, understanding, awareness, revelation, accountability, whatever, that um, God is not going to be unfair and unjust to children. But see, this for a pharaoh, all his pride of his name, of this, of this pharaoh, is going to be passed on to his son. They're, they're very strong in their belief in that. Um, and, and he's dead. And he's incredibly angry. So, you think, do you think 10 plagues will be enough for someone to believe there is a God? Here's, here's my, my thought on this. After all that, and I think even at the first beginning, he knows there's a God. You can't, you can't watch that happen and not know that there's a God by his judgment and his wrath and by his incredible mercy. Because in every situation, he gives opportunity to believe. He gives opportunity for deliverance. He has that revelation. So we have revelation, we have demonstration of what he does. And, and then 
we conclude with invitation. invitation. Jesus said, come to me, come to me, and follow me. Come to me, all you who labor and are weighed down with burdens, come to me and follow me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So he, revelation, he gives opportunity, and there's an invitation. I believe it would be possible for Pharaoh to be saved. I think some of those Egyptians actually believed because it's each individual. Each person will have to make that decision. What will you do with the revelation of him saying, I am, I am the self-existent one, I am Yahweh, and I will all of these things that he has done who proves it. Now, if, if we had 20 more plagues, 30 more plagues, and attacked 100 more gods, you know, in some places in the world they have up to 3 million gods. We're on a path now of just the heart getting hard and harder and harder and harder. And that's how people get to the place where they just shake their fist at God. Say a loving God would never do that. Well, a loving God sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. A loving God in every case lifted up the plague. A loving God provided a way to avoid the consequence. But when you cling to that sin and embrace your unholiness and will not let it go, God will judge that sin. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. And those that follow Satan into hell do it in, with complete and absolute knowledge and rejection of the goodness of God. I think sometimes today we soft-pedal hell. People don't like preaching on hell. But I'm telling you this, you cannot have the goodness of God without the holiness of God. If God does not sufficiently punish all sin, all wickedness, and destroy the works of Satan, we will never have goodness. But he provides a way. He says, follow me. This is a call to salvation and eternal life. And it is, is a call for you and me to lordship. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord of your life? Have you bowed down to him and acknowledged him as your savior? Do you daily bow down and acknowledge him as Lord of your life? It is the best life you could possibly have. It is not an easy one. It wasn't easy for Moses, was it? It's not an easy life, but it's a good life. And it provides eternal life. So much of us, I'm the Lord of my own life. I'll view God as a consultant. <laughs> I'll view God as my user God when I need something. No, when the only way to do this is when Jesus said, follow me, is you get up and you leave your things and you follow him. 
He calls the shots. He leads the way of your life. That's Christianity. And I think when we get into this idea, well, just ask Jesus in your heart. I don't want to minimize that because I think that's, that's simple faith. But I don't, I don't see that that's really the aim of where Jesus is taking people. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Yes, you receive him as your savior, but you follow him. My prayer is this, that for your life and for my life, we ask this question, who is the Lord of your life? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 13, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes Pharaoh. That includes every Egyptian. That includes every Hebrew. That includes everyone in the world. But my prayer would be that we'd step back from this story and not just see the holiness and the wrath of God and his not tolerating any other gods before me and his judgment on idols, but we would see in this story the incredible goodness of God, the incredible mercy of God, because he does both. He completely judges sin, and he offers to those who believe freedom and deliverance. Have you experienced that? Because Jesus is Lord whether we acknowledge it or not, isn't he? I don't make him Lord. He is Lord. But is he Lord of my life? Is he Lord of my life? Father, I pray as you look down upon this group of people, if there's anyone here who has never through the revelation they've received, say, Lord, I believe. I trust you as Lord, as my Savior, that they would do that today. How simple, how plain, how easy for us. And yet, uh, also how beautiful that you have both displayed your power and glory and might against sin, but also in the great deliverance if we believe. And I pray that this story will bring great joy as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.